So today, we're going to be continuing our study in Colossians. We're going to be, uh, this is Jesus Destroys Legalism, Part 1, The Difference Between Legalism and Christ. <laughs> How about that for a title? All right. Next week, you get a break. You get Andrew's going to teach you guys. So bring all your friends. <laughs> we will be, uh, and then we'll do part two and probably part three of this th- to, for this chapter. So I'm really excited. We're going to be in uh, chapter two, verses 11 through probably 14 today. Um, so let's go ahead and pray. We're going to spend some time in prayer. And uh, <clears throat> I'm going to pray a little bit, then I'm going to give us some quiet time where each of us can just bring our, our needs to the Lord, and we can, we can dedicate some time quietly to seek the Lord. Our lives are very, very busy, <clears throat> and we are, as a group, going to just silence ourselves for a few moments to bring ourselves before the Lord, to open uh, our hearts to his spirit, to move in us, to speak into us. Father, I pray that you'd help us to lay every burden down at your feet, to give you our hearts and our souls in fresh and total obedience and surrender to the will of our God. Lord, I pray that in these few moments you would search our hearts, show show us if there is any wicked way or evil thing that we are holding on to or even selfish thing. And Lord, we know that life is only found in you and in fully surrendering to your will. So God, your love for us is all that we have and all that we can hold on to. Your grace for us and your mercy for us. So Lord, we come to you. Lord, in silence before you, we hear you say to us that we are your beloved children and you love us. And you have resources that you are willing to pour out into our hearts and our souls, love and grace. Help us, Lord, to walk in your will every moment of every day. Give us hearts of love, and peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for going to the Lord with me. You guys are awesome. What we're going to see as we study Colossians chapter 2 is Paul is going to teach us how, for the rest of this chapter, that Jesus destroys legalism. Remember, Paul hasn't even met these people, so it's just kind of like pure doctrinal class. Like, he's just going to town Uh, It's as clear as it can possibly be. So what is legalism? And why does it matter to me? What is legalism? Well, the definition of legalism would be a system of rules and regulations for achieving both salvation and spiritual growth a system of rules or regulations for achieving salvation and spiritual growth. You ask 10 people out on the street what church is all about, and probably nine of them will tell you it's a system of rules for salvation and spiritual growth. And that is legalism. That's the reputation that the vast majority of the church has. When the world thinks of us, that's what they think that we're bringing to the world. 
a system of rules and regulations. Guys, is that what we bring? No. There is a system of rules, and God gave it, and it's very important to know. But that's not what we bring. That's what Moses brought. And how good did that go? Everybody failed them. It led to destruction and failure and condemnation. We bring something different. We bring the gospel. Jesus knows that we will fail those things, but he loves us and he provides grace for us. Legalism is the idea that there's something I do or don't do that makes me acceptable to God, makes me impress God, or makes me more like what God wants me to be. Something I got to do. It's self-centered. Legalism is self-centered. It makes us think about us. Well, how do I measure up? How good am I doing? Hmm. It's self-centered. It's self-sourced. It's self-focused. And it's the opposite of grace. Grace is not about self, but it's about who? Jesus. Jesus gives us his grace as we focus on his works, as we place our faith in his faithfulness. He does it, and it's about him. Not what we do, but what he did. So legalism, wow. We got to know and understand what it is. Okay. Now, I mentioned the law. Legalism sees the law as being our way to please God or to impress God. So we would use the law, in, if we were legalistic, to try our best to impress God, to give it our all. Moses gave us the law, so it must be what we need. That's what a legalist says. It's in the Bible, right? Jesus talked about the law, all that's in the New Testament and the Old Testament, so we must have to focus on it. That's what a legalist says. But grace knows that the law is what keeps us from God because we can never measure up to the standard that the law gives us, right? So, the, so legalism sees the law as the way to life, but does it ever work? No. And grace sees the law as what keeps us from measuring up. But the law does um, do something good. It drives us to Christ. It yells at us. It screams at us. It's, it condemns us. And we actually need to hear that. We need to hear that we're not good enough. We need to hear that we're sinners. Because then sinners have somewhere to go for help. There's a savior of sinners, and his name is Jesus. It condemns people. It shows, the law shows people that they are guilty. And that's important. Then we can admit, once we know that we're sinners, once we know we're guilty, then we can admit that we need a savior. And then we can come to Jesus, who, with his grace, can loves to save sinners. Loves to save sinners. Loves to deliver them and transform them. He loves to provide sinners everything that they need. Okay, guys? So what reputation do we want to have? Do we want to be known as a church that thinks that we are better than sinners? Or do we want to be known as a church that we are sinners, but God loves us? And God is transforming us, and God has forgiven us. That's how we want to we be uh, known. Jesus has freed us from the law completely, totally. What does that mean? Well, Jesus has provided a completely new way to know God and to dwell with him other than the law, completely separated from the law. And this new way is called the new covenant of grace. Why does that matter to you? You're like, we hear this every week, Sean. Why does it matter today? 
Why does it matter to me? Because you really want to know God. That's why you're here today. You guys all showed up at church today. No one forced you with a gun, at least I hope not, to show up here today. You came because you wanted to know God. BK, is there something I need to know? <laughs> He's given a side eye. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's okay, Emma. Whatever you need. Whatever you need, right? You guys wouldn't come to church if you didn't really want to know God. And this understanding legalism is so vital to having a true life-giving relationship with God. We got to know there is a poisonous thing out there that has infected so many people who want to walk with the Lord, but they get infected with legalism like a disease. And it kills the spiritual life and vitality that they had previously. So here's four questions for you. Are you going to have a relationship with God where you're constantly trying to live up to his impossible standard? Or are you rejoicing in what Jesus did to freely give you his grace? That's two radically different ways of living your life. Always trying to impress God and measure up or rejoicing in all that Jesus did for you. Two very different ways. Are you going to always stress about what you need to do to please God or to do the right thing? Or are you going to be thankful that Jesus pleased God on your behalf so you can enjoy God's approval and blessings now? That's why this matters, what we're going to talk about, why it matters to you guys today. Because these are two divergent ways of, of, that we can live our life. One, focused on self and what I need to do, and that's going to take you down this path, and it's going to leave in being burnt out and tired and basically giving up on Jesus. That's how it ends every time. You end up as a Pharisee, angry, bitter, sour, no fun to be around. If you walk this way, depending on Christ and his grace, you end up full of life, full of his life. And that's what we want. We want life-giving church services. We want a life-giving devotional life. We want life-giving marriages and life-giving parenting lives. So with all that in mind, which path are we going to go? Let's read our text today, 11 through 14 of Colossians chapter 2, and then we'll then we'll dig in. But I'm going to read the whole thing first so we get the context. In him, that's Jesus, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. All of that's one sentence. We'll dig in. We'll... we'll Break it up, so don't worry. And you, being dead in the trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So that's our text we're going to study today. Uh, in him, let's, let's start at the beginning and, and just reread that first little section, and then we'll talk about it. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul, the guy who wrote this, begins his brutally graphic eviscerating of religious man-centered legalism by talking about circumcision. If you don't know, circumcision is fun to talk about. <laughs> it was the brutal and graphic cutting away of a part of your body or your flesh, if you don't know, ask your mom what it is. 
your mom, yes. Uh, or ask Julie, because she can explain it very well. I've heard that you can just, you're so good at explaining. <laughs> Rumors are terrible things. Okay, so you would, circumcision, you would cut off a piece of your body, um, ask your mom, why would they do this? Why, why does Paul bring up this ancient practice into our discussion about legalism? Because there were lots of people back then who went around to all the churches. They like thought it was their mission to go around to all the churches telling them that they weren't really saved or good enough in God's eyes unless they were circumcised because that was God's um, way that, that you became part of his family in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel. So unless they had gone through the pain of cutting away their flesh, that's what God was really looking for. That's the only way you could really be saved, and it was brutal. So imagine you're just going to church. Back in the day, your house is filled with a bunch of people. It all gets saved, a bunch of Gentiles. And then some guy comes in, and he says, Hey, guys, I'm so glad you know Jesus. Now, let's, let's talk. Let's have a conversation. If you really want to impress God, if you really want to know that you're saved, we're going to have to have a little surgery. And most of these churches were filled with Gentiles. And there were some Jews, but it had grown much bigger with the Gentile world, and they were not circumcised as babies like the Jews were. So this was kind of a big deal. None of them wanted to be circumcised. It was not fun. So the message of these liars was that these Christians weren't really Christians. They weren't really clean. That there was more work to do in their lives. And you need to do it, guys. That's what they would say. It's going to be painful. It's going to be bloody. It's going to be difficult. But that's what it means to be a Christian. To give it your all. To do the hard things. But Paul says, in him, guys, in him, when you become a Christian, when you're in him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. So Paul says, guys, we're going to start over. If you're a Christian, you are in him. And I'm going to remind you what in him gets you. That's what Paul's doing here in this text. In him means you were already circumcised. And it's not the same kind of fleshly thing that you could do with your hands. It was spiritual, spiritual circumcision. And you see, there's two kinds of circumcision. There's physical, cutting off the flesh, and that's outside the body. But then there's a spiritual, which is cutting off sin that separates us from God in our hearts. And that's what being a Christian is, when our hearts have been circumcised, where Jesus has done that for you. He didn't tell you to do it. What part of salvation did you accomplish? Nothing. All we did was believe upon him. He circumcised our hearts. Even in the Old Testament, there are two types of circumcision. I'm going to read a verse to you uh, that shows that. In Deuteronomy, way back in Deuteronomy, chapter 30, it says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Did this ever happen before Jesus came? No. Nobody loved the Lord with all their heart and all their soul, but that's what his work and his grace in our life does for us. In him, back to our text, you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Jesus doesn't care about the outside of your body when it comes to your relationship with him. This is symbolic of our outward efforts to be right with God. Jesus is not measuring 
how hard you're trying. He sets that aside to love you and to give you his grace. He cares about the heart. What he does is instead of trying to form us on the outside by pushing, by, by pushing on us this way and putting a rule on us this way, he ignores all of that and he goes in the heart and he circumcises the heart and produces his life in the heart. And now what we, what we want to do, what we yearn for and long for as we keep our eyes on him and follow him is we long for his life, what he wants. It just starts to flow out of us. It's called a spiritual life righteousness. We start to long for what is right. Not what we want anymore, but what he wants. And that's what he produces. It's not something you can do, this circumcision that Jesus does. You can't do this for yourself. Just like you can't change the way that you look. Sometimes we change the way we dress. We change what we do. We change the things we don't do, but that's not going to change who we are because we can't change who we are. God says that's outside of our ability. None of our outside efforts or all the things that we focus on, none of it can change the heart, and the heart is where our problem lies. Jesus deals with the heart Jesus, that's why it's so fun to preach the gospel. It's really fun because Jesus can tackle the heart of the person you're talking to, even though you look at them and you're like, there's no way this person's ever going to be cool. There's no way that this person's ever going to get saved. But Jesus tackles the heart, and he can change things that we could never change. And you're no better a Christian based on what you look like or what rules or regulations you follow. You're a Christian if you believe. And there's no better Christian or worse Christian. You are a Christian when Jesus has circumcised your heart. When you find that your heart is different because of him. He has made you holy in your heart. You want different things than you did before. You desire holiness, and you start to hate sin. When you sin, it grieves your heart. Instead of celebrating, ha, look at what I did, I sinned, you start to grieve and say, I think maybe I broke Jesus's heart just now. I think maybe I'm not walking step in step with my Savior. I think maybe I'm going off the rails. And this is how Jesus works. He, he ministers to the heart and says, come back to me because I love you. And I give you peace when we're walking hand in hand. I give you joy. I give you many gifts as we walk hand in hand. How, or sorry, he does this by his power and his work and his strength in our lives, not ours. And if, you've become, if you are a Christian, that happened to you in the past. When you first believed, he gives you a new heart, a circumcised heart. A heart that trusts in Jesus and not in self. Not in my own ability to keep God's law or to impress him by my efforts or my deeds. Paul describes what Jesus did for us like this. What we could not do. He says, putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So that word putting off, very important. See that in your Bible right there? Putting off? That's a double compound verb. And it's the words stripping off and casting away squished into one word, stripping off and casting away. And the image is throwing away an old, dirty, stinky, smelly shirt, just throwing it off, not trying to wash it, not taking a shower with it still on and trying to get the dirt off it, but stripping it and throwing it 
away. And that is what Jesus did for you, is what Paul says. He took off your stinky, sin-soaked shirt, and he threw it away. What t-shirt are you wearing on your heart right now? The old moldy sin and, of, and self-banned shirt? <laughs> nope, not if you're a Christian. Your heart is pure. He has cleansed you. Well, how do we know what t-shirt we have on our hearts? Sincere baptism shows that the real circumcision of the heart has taken place. We talk about baptism sometimes, and we, it's very important. And Paul brings it up right here as being the way that we can tell what is going on in the heart. He says, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Obviously, guys, baptism doesn't save anybody. So that's not what we're talking about. But it shows what is true in our hearts. It's an outward celebration of an inward work that Jesus has done in our hearts hearts. So can you lie about what Jesus has done in your heart and say, I want to get baptized, but it's fake and not sincere? Sure you can, you know, but I think we can tell a lot of times that it's fake. And over time, it's played out whether it was fake or not. But if you're sincere and you've put your trust in Jesus and he has circumcised your heart, baptism is the thing that we do that celebrates his work. So the question, I'm gonna, we're going to ask this question, should I get baptized? Has Jesus changed your heart? Has he, has he circumcised your heart? That's the question you've got to ask yourself. Well, I'm not sure. Well, have you believed in Jesus? Have you placed your faith in him? Have you um, believed in your heart that Jesus died for your sins and Paid the price to save you? Yes, I, I do that. I believe that. Well, then have you confessed that you're a sinner and that there, you have no hope besides Jesus for salvation? Yes, I believe that. So you believe in the working of God. That's what, how this text says it. That's what you believe, that in the working of God, that, Jesus, that God raised Jesus from the dead. Yeah, yeah, that's what I believe. Then Jesus has saved you. Jesus has changed you, and you didn't do any of that yourself. So if you can answer yes to those questions from the heart, you didn't do that. God did that in you. God helped you to believe. It's amazing. And you have every right to be baptized and to celebrate what Jesus has already done. And we want to celebrate with you. This is our big party that we do as a church, <laughs> it's not a job to do. It's more like a wedding reception celebration. But it's not something that saves, and neither was circumcision. If you go back to the Old Testament, circumcision didn't save anybody. And neither does baptism. Only the spiritual circumcision that Jesus gives us can save only Jesus can raise people from the dead and give them new life. You can't do that yourself. He says, back to our text, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So Jesus has already raised you from the dead because what happened to him happened to you through faith. I'm going to say that again, because as, as you go through life, this is so vital for you guys to understand. What happened to him happened to you through faith. And that's what we get to enjoy as Christians. What happened to him happened to me. I get all of it attributed to me when I place my faith in him. He died on a cross so did I. How do you know that's true? By faith. How do you know it's real? By faith. He resurrected from the dead and lives in new life continually. So do I. How do you know that? By faith. 
How do you experience that daily? By faith. Well, it sounds like all we do is trust in Jesus, and this faith just makes all this stuff real. Yup. That's how this works. Jesus never struggles with sin. He, he lives continually to please his Father. That's what's real in our lives, too, when we walk by faith. When we walk by flesh, we don't experience the life of Christ. But when we walk by faith, it's all yours. It's all ours. And this is the everlasting gospel that we get to preach. Jesus, what happened to Jesus, happened to us. What he gets, we get. We are co-heirs with him. Does that mean you are also God? No. You are his bride. And you get the benefits that he has won for you. Good, good stuff. He, his victorious, sin-conquering, death-beating, joyful, God-glorifying life is yours. Let me say that again. His victorious, sin-conquering, death-beating, joyful, God-glorifying life is yours. By faith, you can have it. It is true that he gave us life from the dead. Is it true? I got a Spurgeon quote for you guys. Spurgeon quote. Spurgeon quote. It is true that he gave us life from the dead. He gave us pardon of sin. He gave, it, he gave us imputed righteousness. These are all precious things. But you see, we are not content with them. We have received Christ himself. The Son of God has been poured into us, and we have received him and appropriated him. Spurgeon says there, yeah, we get a lot of benefits from following Jesus, but what the greatest benefit is, we get him. And this is why legalism sucks. Because you don't get him. You get you. And you do not compare with the life-giving Jesus. What does this have to do with legalism? The only thing you have to do is have faith in Jesus. And if you want to do something after that, just celebrate all that Jesus has done for you through baptism because you can't improve on the perfect gift of grace he's already done for you. Watch. Look what he says. And you... Being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. He says, you were dead. Not physically, because you guys know we were alive, breathing, before we met Jesus, but we were dead spiritually. We were all dead, born dead spiritually, which means we were dead as far as our relationship with God goes. We had no spiritual life in us. That spirit part of you that can connect with God and commune with God was dead. These are things only Jesus can do. Make us alive when we were dead. He's the only one in that business, besides Dr. Frankenstein. And how does Jesus do this? Paul says, very simply, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This is how Jesus made you alive. He got rid of your sin. All of it. Wiped out. That means he erased it. In the ancient Greek, the word wiped out is a compound word to anoint and the second compound, completely, to anoint completely. The idea is to completely wipe something away, like whitewashing a wall or overlaying something with gold. It means all the accusations and all our failures are completely wiped away or covered over. He calls them the handwriting of requirements. This is all the list. Someone made a list of all the bad things you did. Someone has made that list. Someone has written it down. Every bad thing you've ever thought, wanted, done, all of it is written down somewhere. God is a judge. He's a righteous judge. 
And that is scary for some of us because I think my list is really long. All the list of all the things we should have been that we failed to be. That list is long. All of our crimes, all the law written against us. It was against us. Don't get me wrong. No, none of you are impressing with your record of law keeping. We're not, this isn't for us. This is against us, contrary to us. And Jesus did the most amazing thing in the world when he took it out of the way between you and God because he nailed it to the cross. He read your list. God read your list and he's all the things from the moment you were born that you shouldn't have done, that you should have done, that you didn't do. And God took all of it and nailed it to the cross. He did everything possible to make certain that there was nothing that could ever accuse you before his throne. There's nothing that the devil can accuse you of. N.T. Wright says this, Paul, looking at the cross, saw there, instead of the uh, wooden title, you remember they, they nailed that wooden title above Jesus that said King of the Jews? You remember that? Okay. That Instead of that, that expressed the crime against Jesus, um, he sees there the, the, the written code, all the things that we had ever done wrong, disqualifying us from the life of the new age. It was God, not Pilate, who put the, this list there. God nailed it to the cross. When God nailed his son to the cross, in the body of Jesus, God took your list and he hid it in his heart. And God nailed it to the cross and he killed that body so that that list could never get out and never be seen by another eye again, especially his eye. He did it because he loves you and he wanted to give you a fresh start, purity. Remember that, um, remember that when Satan tries to condemn you and say that you have failed to measure up and, and says that you are not good enough for God, you're not good enough for church, you're not good enough for your family, you're not good enough, remember that it all was nailed to the cross and rejoice with tears of joy and thanksgiving that Jesus would look upon you with such grace. So the way to relate to the law is through faith in Jesus. This is a very important question that we get a lot. How do Christians relate to the law then? If, if the law, if we've been forgiven and, and God has freed us from the law, then how do we relate to it? The answer is through faith in Jesus. So we have to remember that he has dealt with all of your requirements on the cross. He has dealt with it all. So the wrong way to relate to the law is through self-sourced efforts to be more or do better than you were doing. That's the wrong way. The right way is to put faith in Christ saying, Jesus died on the cross for my law keeping, for my failure of it, and for all that I should be, Jesus died on the cross. So the difference between legalism and Christ is clear, guys. Legalism is about your efforts to keep God's laws or any other rules that, that people may put on you. And Jesus, instead, he kept the law for you, and he gives you forgiveness for all the times you failed, and he wipes out everything that could ever be against you. And he transforms you by his love and his life. Jesus destroys legalism by destroying sin in our hearts, 
by destroying the law's ability to hold on to that sin because the law can only grab onto our hearts when there's sin there. And Jesus is able to get rid of the sin so the law cannot hold you accountable to any of your sin ever again. And I hear the concern in someone's heart this morning. And it says this. If, Pastor, if you keep telling people that they're forgiven and that Jesus has set them free, they're just going to go out and sin some more. You're going to create a bunch of sinning Christians. And I'm telling you guys this. That's total crazy talk. And I'm going to respond with this question. You're telling me that if, if someone loves you deeply, passionately, real love, you're going to turn your back on them and treat them poorly? No, you're not. Because love produces love. And when Jesus' love on you is so full and so complete and so wiping away sin, and he really circumcises our hearts, the, the, what happens is it changes our hearts. And we start to hate sin and we start to walk in his ways because of his love. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So can I go to each one of you and say, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, you're doing that wrong, you could do that better, you're doing that wrong, you're doing, and I'm doing this stuff wrong. Could I do that? Yes. Would it help you? No. Because guess what? You already know. You already know that you're doing these things wrong. You already know if you're a Raiders fan. I mean, what can we do? Just by telling you about it doesn't going to... Oh, sorry, didn't see you. <laughs> we already know that we are failing or we are out of his will. But when I tell you and I preach to you all that Jesus has done for you, it will help. It will work because his word declares his promise that that's how the gospel works. It's what Jesus did for you it's his grace freely applied to you and given to you. Okay? Uh, if there's anyone that is sick or has been feeling down, I want you to come and we'll pray for you today. Okay? Not right now, but like maybe after worship. I, I just really believe that God wants us to be praying for anyone who's been hurting or has been sick. And, uh, and we'll talk about it and we'll pray for you today. You guys, and you guys know that that's part of what the church does, right? So if you are ever sick, you can call the church and we're supposed to come pray for you and God will heal you. That's something that he promises, okay? So you always have God to look to God first. You know, I'm not saying don't take medicines and stuff like that. I'm saying what is our heart trusting in? And, and let's trust in the Lord first. So let's show him our trust by prayer. Um, okay, I'm going to swing real fast to do one thing. Last week, I told you to download an app, okay? How many of you did it? Just kidding. I don't even want you to. Good job. <laughs> 22 Jesus points for you. Okay. Um, but I'm going to show you a quick video, just a couple minutes, on what this app does. So if you missed it or if you just forgot, the Life on Mission app in the Android and the iPhone app store is a great app that is going to help you have gospel conversations with your friends. All of you, I know, want to share the gospel with your friends. And this is, how, this is a great tool to just help us know where to start or where to, uh, how, how this conversation goes. It's, it's like a cheat sheet for helping people find the way to heaven. I love it. So watch this video. And, uh, and then download the app, Life on Mission. This is called the Three Circles Tool for how to share the gospel. There's, uh, there's more videos. We'll practice it maybe another time, but I'm slowly introducing you guys to this tool. So go ahead and roll it. We got sound and we're good? Okay, go ahead. Buffering. Who's stealing the internet? Who, who just got on their phones? You. I found it. Ah, I got you. Just kidding. <laughs> 
Maybe reload it. <sighs> Satan and the internet. Here, I'm going to do a reload on that. Uh, where are we at here? Oh, gosh. There it goes. Okay. Now we're going to click on this and go. Oh, perfect. Jimmy Scroggins again, working on our Gospel Conversations training. And I want to give you an example that you can maybe follow as you try to get ready to get reps to share the Gospel of Jesus. So I'm going to show you the three circles, just the Gospel piece right now on the board. The Bible tells us that God has a design for our lives, that God cares about every aspect of our lives. That's our families, that's our personal lives, that's our choices, our money, our sex life. Really everything about our life, God has a design for it. If we live according to God's design, then we have the opportunity to live in the arena of God's blessing. The problem is that all of us have a tendency to depart from God's design. When we depart from God's design, the Bible has a word for that, and the word is sin. And inevitably, when we sin against God, when we leave His design, we end up in a place that we call brokenness. Now, all of us know what brokenness feels like. It feels like emptiness. It feels like guilt. It feels like rejection. It feels like shame. It feels like regret. But when we get in this place of brokenness, we always try to fix it. So we try to maybe dive into a different relationship or try to make more money or try to become more religious. But whatever we do, we try to mitigate the pain of our brokenness. We try to escape our brokenness in some way. Now, brokenness really hurts and it feels like a terrible thing. But the truth is it's a good thing because brokenness draws our attention to the need for change in our lives. But the change that we need doesn't come from in here. The change we need comes from somewhere else. The good news is that the Bible tells us where that kind of change comes from. That kind of change comes from what's called the good news or the story of the gospel. Gospel is just a Bible word that means good news. The gospel is the story of Jesus. Jesus, who is the son of God, who came to earth and he never departed from God's design in any way, not even one time. But Jesus was crucified on the cross for, the Bible says, the sins of the world. That's my sins and your sins. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, God did a miracle. He took the sins of the world, our sins, and put them on Jesus. And Jesus received the punishment from God for our sins. When he'd done everything that he came to do, he said, it is finished, and he died. They took his body off the cross. They buried him. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead. The Bible says that God raised him from the dead to prove that Jesus was who he said he was, the Son of God, and that he could do what he came to do, forgive our sins and heal the broken places in our lives. The kind of change we need doesn't come from in here. The kind of change we need comes from the gospel itself. The Bible says that what we need to do when we find ourselves in brokenness is repent of our sins. In other words, change our heart, change our mind, change our direction, and believe the gospel story. That's the story of Jesus, how he was crucified for our sins and raised from the dead. The Bible says if we'll repent and believe, then Jesus will come into our lives. He'll forgive our sins and begin to heal the broken places in our lives. And then the Bible says that God will give us the opportunity to recover and pursue God's design for our lives. The cool thing about this is that we get to recover and pursue God's design from wherever we are. We don't have to. Now, this is just the gospel piece. There's other things that you need to learn and other things that you need to rep. But I hope that this will help you as you learn to share the gospel of Jesus, turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations. Awesome. So I hope that you can download that and start looking at it, start uh, studying it and seeing how, uh, how you could have these kind of conversations with people in our world. Because isn't that a message that this world needs to hear? You know, that the brokenness that there, I actually like to start 
when I'm doing that, I start in the brokenness circle because I find that everybody agrees that there's a certain measure of brokenness in their lives. And so uh, I actually start there and I get back to God's design at the beginning. Uh, I think that's, I think that's an easier way to go, but they all work. So would you guys all stand with me and we're going to pray and we're going to sing a couple songs. So this will be our time to respond to the, the love and the grace of Jesus that he has declared to us today, that he has taken our sin, our, uh, all our failures, and nailed it to the cross. Father, we pray uh, that you would help us to let these things sink down deep into our hearts, that we would put our trust in you completely, uh, that we would, if, we, if there's needed, we would repent and believe uh, maybe for the first time, Lord, if, if there's uh, other sins in our life that have crept back in that we've repented in the past, but we need to repent new and fresh, I pray that we would do that so that there's nothing in our lives that is between you and us. Uh, God, you have done everything. You've paid every price to wash all those things away. And Lord, we want to see that reality in our lives. We want to see the the work that you have done, the circumcision in our hearts. Uh, we want to see that produce the fruit um, of a surrendered life. Lord, help us uh, to be on the watch for how legalism can so quickly suck the life out of a true relationship with you. Uh, Lord, where our, our mind and our heart gets focused on ourselves instead of on your sufficient gospel. Lord, I pray for each person in here where we've been hurting, where we're experiencing the brokenness of sickness or pain or, or just devastating life circumstances. Uh, God, help us to lay them all at your feet. And, and, uh, and, and Jesus, we need your life to be seen in all these places. We need your healing. Uh, you are willing to step in and touch us with your grace. And Lord, help us to see that in, in truth. Um, during this time of worship, uh, I pray that we would be all, we'd be in that place of, of living your design. We were designed to worship you. So help us to be all that you uh, mean for us to be. Help us to please you as we sing these songs to you and celebrate the body and blood of your son, Jesus Christ, through communion. In your name we pray, amen.